0: Z Retcon Podcast. Please note this podcast may contain explicit language and spoilers. Keep your hands inside the podcast at all times, your seat in an upright position, and your secret identity secret. And now, here are your hosts, Ian and James. I've been gone and where I... Where's the street Hercules to fly? Tell me something. Why were you so sure those voices weren't coming from you? Well, first, I know I'm not psychotic. I hope your other reasons more convincing. And second, the voice kept calling me Bruce. In my mind, that's not what I call myself. What do you call yourself? Oh, yeah.
1: I suppose you would. But that's my name now.
0: Hmm. Tell that to my subconscious. I'm holding for a hero till the, end of the night. A Welcome to the show once again, true believers, as we delve deep into the world of fantastic at the Origins Z Retcon Podcast. I'm Ian, and he's James. This week,
1: kids are throwing off the shackles of formality, putting our geek into overdrive, and we're going to crush hard onto our top five comical characters like we're smitten teens.
0: Yeah, we got the tissues ready, we got the door locked so mom can't bust in and scream, Oh my God! We kick into that and get our geek on look i gotta apologize for a slight screw up last week where in my excitement i dropped a total fucking clanger about dan abnett nandy and lanning totally managed to screw up on two of the most well-known comic writers he frequently collaborated on a shit ton of work at marvel dc judge red and a ton of other awesome awesome books so uh, guys call off the sentinels. Sometimes I get shit a little out of order when I get excited. You know, it just happens.
1: Enough with the sorry. Let pal bam oomph um, this like a William Doozer Batman episode.
0: We decided this week, you know, after we sort of fawned off over uh, Total Recall, the new Batman flick, and the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy movie, um, we decided this week just to like kick it off a little and just to talk about our top five favorite comic slash animated slash cartoon characters. Just let everyone who's listening know where we've come from uh, in terms of comics. You know, James, you know what? I'm going to be a gentleman this week. James?
1: Well, as for me, I got into comics pretty young. Um, I was around seven or eight. Uh, At this time, I was only reading comics issue to issue, not really following story arcs or getting heavily into it. Um, I had a lot of other things going on, such as like I was into Magic cards, uh, Magic the Gathering, and Warhammer 40K. So my attention wasn't really ready to derive, like to be isolated to comics. Um, it wasn't until about I was twelve I started to really get into comics more consistently. I would start going to the comic book shop monthly. Uh, At that time, a lot of my comics were only released on the 10th of the month rather than having things, you know, come out on Wednesdays like they do now. Um, And then roughly around the age of 18 is when I really, really got hooked. Uh, I finally started to get my very own box at my local comic shop. Uh, This is a huge step for, you know, comic fans. It was a graduation point of where the comic book owner knew you by name and you started working on the honor system of he's going to pull your comics aside to make sure that you get your comics and he knows you're going to come and get them. And this was a huge thing for you to be able to get your own box. It was a, a huge honor and, and it just started to take off from there. Uh, My spending spree started when I first got my first job, probably around 16, 17. Once I had a stable job, I started collecting. This was no longer an issue by issue or just the current stories. This is where I started collecting older comics, uh, such as the original Detective Comics. You know, sadly, my my issue 27 of Detective Comics is an original print. Uh, I would love it to be, but uh, I do have a 50th anniversary one from 1989, which is still really... A really good find. From there, I I started to really localize my interests, uh, gradually find out what types of comics I really got into rather than just buying whatever is coming out. But I always still managed to buy new emerging comics. I always wanted to make sure to back uh, any kind of new starters or new heroes or story arcs. Um, rather than relying just on word of mouth. Uh, That way I can make sure I can be a part of a new comic series or legacy.
0: You know what? You are so fucking lucky that you got to be able to have, like, a box. On this side of the pond, big quote-unquote, boxes are not something which which really existed. And I suppose I better explain for those who are on this side, um... The box system in the US for uh, comics is where basically they have dedicated comic book stores. We have maybe one or two in Ireland. In the UK, they have a couple as well interspersed around in various cities. Um, I don't know what it's like in the rest of Europe. Basically, what happens is they get to go into a comic book store and say, look, there's this series, this series, and this series are what I'm interested in. And to make sure that you don't miss out on a particular issue, they would actually put it buy for one side for you on the understanding that you know they trusted you and that's when James talked about the honor system and that when you came in to go pick up your comics you'd make sure that you paid for them and you didn't like it's it's kind of like a layaway for comics kind
1: of like that It, it was kind of like I got my own personal mailbox set up inside of my comic book shop you know I might not be able to get there every week or every other week and I might only be able to stop by maybe once a month or something like that or like I'll stop by a couple times in one week but he knows that i'm going to be back there and that i want these comics and by the time i come back a month later or if i go away on vacation i mean comic might not be there so especially if there was like exclusive comics coming out or variant covers having a box was such a tremendous thing to to rely on to get those things that you really wanted into your collection or wanted to read and it really is that next step of a relationship between a nerd and his comics
0: you like I said you were just so fucking lucky that you had that. <laughs> I mean for like for me you know my first uh, real exposure to comics was with um, UK comics with, like the Dandy and the Beano I'm not too sure how well they're known in the US I do know there's a couple of people who picked them up my first sort of US comic from the traditional quote unquote mainstream comics from DC was a Batman comic and it was 1985 um, you know what I'll never ever Fucking forget the first time I actually saw that comic, and it was in my local store, which was literally about oh, less than uh, 200 yards away from where I lived. And it, you know, it was a really deep, dark, egg yolky, yellowy cover on the front with Batman's cowl instead sort of a really dark blacky blue and black masks mask on front and you know what it's uh, issue number 386 for those who actually want to look it up and you know what I'm really shit at remembering comic book issue numbers and you know what happens in what issue and that's just down to I'm just terrible with stuff like that like I know what I like and yeah so that's just basically how things are I mean you know what it actually wasn't even my first real introduction to Batman because I was already familiar with Batman from watching the uh the William Dozier series on TV starred Adam West and Burt Ward and you know when I first actually got that I was really struck by the cov- the color of the cover for the Batman comic that's what actually sort of drew me in to have a look at it for those who are f- remember the TV series you know it was very bright you could definitely tell it was very 60s 70s and was very much like very pop arty in terms of its colors but I remember sort of when I turned the pages in that and just the starkness how the world of Batman in the in the comic was presented compared to the TV show. It was just like a re- it was really radically different. But you know what? It actually just sort of hooked me in and I was like, wow, I've been fucking missing out. Like and I mean I was only a kid and like didn't say phrase it in those words, but I remember thinking to myself, you know, I wish I'd actually come across this sooner. You know, and because I lived in Ireland and like my I didn't have we didn't have comic book shops, especially in the 80s. In the early 80s, my local news agent that was up the road from where I lived, they occasionally used to get Marvel comics and DC comics in, and there was never any sort of real continuity to be able to keep on top of series. Like if you started a a series, say within uh, Batman or whatever, that you would, if you got three, like I picked up 386. The following week, I went to look to get Batman. And uh, there was no Batman, so I ended up having to pick up like, <laughs> a Marvel comic. But, you know, e- even then, like, I would, all, whatever sort of pocket money I had at that stage, or from like doing chores or what, like, you know, how it goes when you're a kid you get money and you don't have a lot of it. It would always be that I'd pick up Marvel comics. Even then, it would be ones like X Men. If it had Wolverine on it, I was so picking it up. I was just such a fan of that character as a kid. Or the Incredible Hulk ones. Um, I really, really loved those as a kid. Uh, sometimes you know it, it didn't have the option. The the one that which seemed to come in fairly often for Marvel uh, was a Spider-Man comic. But well, whenever I was in, like it was all I always had to make a choice between one comic because that's all I could pick up each week. Adam out uh, of the change that I had kicking around. And, you know, as I got like, a little older, then I got into things like 2000 AD comics. And then uh, as I got into like uh, my teens a little more, especially after the uh, first appearance of the Batman TV series uh, on TV, you know, the animated one with Kevin Conroy doing the Batman voice. And it was done by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. We're going to talk about that series an awful lot on this podcast, like in the future, because I just fucking love that show. But anyway, it was all—it sort of led led the way for me to then sort of looking at uh, Japanese comics through Japanese animated series. And you know, for me, it was always a case of like I was always taken in by the art. Initially, it wasn't the stories that really drew me in; it was the the art and the presentation of them that really got me. When I sort of got that bit older, it became less about the looks of comics. I mean, today I'll still pick up a a graphic novel or I'll pick up an issue of a comic and I'll still look at it and I'll be very uh, sort of beady-eyeing onto the detail of things. You know, it still remains to me now how a comic looked, how the storylines, the complexity, the characters. And you know what? It's... uh, I'm like I'm 33 now and from the time I was five and I had my first Beano comic and I got my first Batman comic in the same year and even the characters like Dennis the Menace, you know what? The... I can actually pick up any comic right now and I can find some kind of enjoyment in it and there's something in it that actually sort of ticks it for me. It's, It kind of gets to the stage where I'm like looking at comics going, Jesus, I don't know if I've got enough time to get through all these different comics. So, And I, I tend not to uh, limit myself to one comic anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know that exact feeling, it's especially with not having the time to appreciate everything that you want to read. Uh, thankfully with new media with uh smartphones and tablets and everything like that you can finally get them on a digital version to go that way you're not carrying around a stack of comics in your backpack a briefcase
0: no the digital comics in terms of like what you get on your ipad or on your smartphone or anything else you know what for me they've actually just sort of opened my eyes a lot more to a lot more comics Does we've like got one or two really big comic book stores in well in, in our capital city in dublin and you know what there's times when i go in there and i kind of have to be a little bit careful because i could easily rock in there and like come out like a couple of hundred euros lighter quite easy <laughs> just on comics alone i have to be really really careful when i go into these places you know so much so that sometimes i've got to bring my other half of me just as an insurance policy to make sure that i don't blow through like a week's wages or a week's pay on on a full set of comics and rocking out with two huge bags full of them.
1: Sounds like an average Wednesday to me. (laughs) (laughs) You're so lucky.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've actually been looking forward all week to actually doing this show, you know that?
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, it was really hard to really isolate down uh, a top five Um, and I I think I loosely have what my top five would be I, I always knew out of all comic characters who my number one is and my number two or my number one superhero is but it was really hard to determine which one I would like more if like if I had to put villains and superheroes in the same top five list it's very it was very hard but It was a lot of fun uh, reviewing over a lot of my comics and a lot of things that I read uh series, T V series, everything. It, it reminded me a lot of why I love comics so much.
0: You know, I had to say you know, I kinda had the same thing, but for me it wasn't that difficult to uh to get my top five. <laughs> and, and, but it, it's it's you, you for me, like when we get through the top five, everyone's gonna be like, Jesus Christ, we've already fucking heard this before for those who know me. And uh James has known me for quite a while now, so like I'm pretty sure when he's like uh, saw my list, he's like, "Fuck me, Jesus! I, I should have expected this." <laughs> actually, uh,
1: you have one one there that's uh, really good. I wasn't sure I was going to make your uh, your top five or not, but uh, it really surprised me. You're number four, actually.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I think we should kick off like what the top five is. You know, we were kind of sitting before the show, myself and James, and we were kind of like talking about our top five, it, it just in, in a little in, in sort of short terms. And um, we were kind of wondering, you know, how are we're going to do the rundown on this, and then we realized that there's quite a number of characters that we bo- that both made our top five, but were are kind of in different places in it. So, you know, what we're doing is we're just going to like list off what our top five is, and then we're just going to get into like a fucking get really fucking chatty just about all of them.
1: Let's get it started. Uh, so, for you, uh, what is your fifth top favorite comic book character?
0: You know, for me, it's uh, Marvel, and it is Blade.
1: Did you more so like the Blade based on like his individual work, or just because of his working in other comics?
0: You know, it was um, my first introduction to Blade was by way of his appearance in one of the uh, Spider-Man comics, and it was one of the story series with uh, another uh, pseudo vampire in it, uh, Michael Morbius yeah yeah so that was my first introduction to blade and i just remember thinking you know just as a kid you know how badass is this guy like this guy has got a vendetta and like he is in clear about he wants to go about it i mean he wasn't like frank castle in punisher this dude was just like you know what you're a vampire you suck blood i am drilling you into the floor (laughs) and for me that was you know that for me was just like bam i'm happy and you know what I am really indifferent about the movie series as well. I don't well, we'll get more th-
1: into that in a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I just I want to see if you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. No. You see, dude, I was nearly like I was like I had my nose just out over the line. I was like, shit! I just want to run with it now.
1: <laughs> well, my my number five would have to definitely be the Joker, um, the Joker from any any variation of him in the Detective Comics. His appearances within the Justice League and everything. He really, really i really get him <laughs> he completes me
0: even the uh romero joker from the tv series
1: oh definitely absolutely poorly as it was done it still had its more comical relief um unfortunately that might have been my f- one of my first experiences is to experiences to the joker but uh I can cope with it. They went a more family-friendly kind of way.
0: I think a lot of people kind of got their first introduction to the Joker 2 from Cesar Romero's portrayal in the uh, the William Dozier series. I mean, like, we are constantly going to be referencing that because, again, it's just one of my loves. So, James, just while like, we're on the topic of number fives and all, if we dip into number four, your number four I think is probably going to surprise a couple of people. I'm not surprised, but you know what? You know when you when I seen it I was like I can I, I was nearly jumping there for my number 4 too.
1: Yeah, my uh, my number 4 would have to be Darkseid. Uh Darkseid is very influential. Uh, he was closely based off of a real life person in the devastation in chaos and involvement that he brings to the entire DC universe just because of him is is pretty astounding
0: so just more I just want to kick in dark Side there you know a lot of there's a couple of people whose introduction to dark Side would have been by way of the smallville tv series you know through the back end of that series and as a whole
1: yep he was in the ninth season and then the final season as well
0: that's right, and uh, yeah, so we'll you know we'll we will talk about that too because I, I I'm sure you've got a couple of thoughts on that so do I in terms of like how it fits against the uh, from what's in the comics. but my number four, And uh, you actually said when we were talking about this from the pre-show, you were really surprised by my choice at a number four.
1: Yeah, I'm not disappointed. I'm just surprised it actually made. It's a really good pick that I wasn't really thinking
0: of. Yeah, my number four is actually DC Comics. And I say it's DC Comics, is isn't really. It's really Tarly Quinn. And... I love Harley Quinn as a character for like a multitude of reasons, but one of the main reasons I love about this is this was a character that was based off a real person, Arlene Sorkin. And then Arlene Sorkin went on to voice Harley Quinn. It is a character that started out in a TV series and then got sort of uh, retconned and taken into the DC Universe. And, you know, I can't wait to fucking start talking about Harley Quinn. There's there's also a part of this which is going to be really funny. My other half will just, you know, I'll get into it afterwards anyway. (laughs) So we're into like the countdown into the threes. And number three for me, actually, this is really funny. Uh, Our number three is actually sitting, we're on two sides of the same coin. If you you remember uh, the flick, you know. So my number three is the Joker. And James, what's your number three? Batman. You know, it just you could you couldn't fucking call it like that. You just really, really couldn't.
1: Yeah, just uh, for them to be equally on par. I mean, especially for choice wise, definitely in the top five for both of us. Batman is is so influential, based on that. You know, he doesn't really have you know superpowers. He's just a super guy.
0: He's swell.
1: He's very swell, (laughs) not in a no homophobic kind of way, of course. We're not talking about the '60s Batman. Talking about the Dark Knight.
0: Dude, did you just Uh, diss on Adam West?
1: No, he's crazy. No.
0: (laughs) I was just checking because you know we, you know, at that point we could have had lots of people going, you know, fuck you, James Hartman, switch (laughs) off. (laughs) Adam West is awesome. I would not deny that. (laughs) <laughs> Mayor Adam West <laughs> so look uh, we're getting into just the bottom end of our list and it's we're into the number two section and you know what the number two rather interesting you know we've picked characters that actually have crossed paths a number of times so James you're number two
1: my number two is actually probably the most influential comic book character that I relate to the most uh, obviously not the superpower wise but you know everyday teenager peter parker spider-man is by far my most favorite superhero and he's my number two top comic character of all time just the the realism to who peter parker is and his everyday life is inside of comics not just constantly battling something it really really helped me relate to comics a lot closely and and really delved into it like Hardcore once I was exposed to Spider Man.
0: Yeah, and my number two is a character that has uh, crossed paths with uh, Spider Man tearing down and wrecking shit all over the place. And you know what, for me, it was actually difficult to actually choose between this one as my number two or my number one. And my number two choice is, uh, you know, Big Green himself, you know, the Incredible Hulk, tearing shit down and smashing shit up, and, you know, Oh, dude, like, I love the Hulk.
1: I, just... I see the most you relate to. People don't like you when you get angry.
0: Yeah, you know, actually, it was... Um, the Hulk and I was uh, in my angsty, teenage phase uh the Hulk was something that I actually uh, related to an awful lot you know the uh the the you're fighting to 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 keep all the all the all the darkness and all the bad shit in because when that gets out all kinds of hell breaks loose and uh you know for me it was it was um I kind of identified with that, but you know what I just love in you know, watching it in cells and then when I seen it in the animated series, you know what I even like the fucking Bill Bixby series. So, you know what, for me, the Hulk is my number two. And then we get into the primo spot, the premiere, the big spotlight, the number one, the numero uno. And the number one is, for me, like I was in, yeah, no one's shocked by this, Batman. <laughs> and James, your number one.
1: My number one is probably, to me, the most powerful supervillain the most diabolical manipulative and mastermind supervillain magneto he is by far in my mind the he's the pinnacle of what a villain would be if they had a plan to make sure that the world wasn't necessarily equal but understood the superiority and the survival of the fittest.
0: You know what's funny is, when I seen your number one, and was like, dude, high five!
1: Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Wolverine, just the fact that, like, something that powerful can be simply controlled by a small whim, and... The fact that the only thing that can really, really stop Magneto is something that he planned for the entire time. Similar to Batman. Batman has a a plan to stop all the superheroes and taste if someone goes rogue. And that's the whole thing is he is the central, like, to me, he is very close to the center of the universe or the Marvel Universe. Like, especially in any kind of cross-path X-Men world, he is the, the supreme one in in any kind of confrontation so
0: you know what i would follow that up with a short discussion about batman but you know what i'll already be out of fucking tissues at this stage because <sighs> i'll just get so fucking worked up about about the batman but anyway look let's kick off and let's start talking down from our tier five and let's fucking justify ourselves i know we shouldn't really have to but you know what we'll just we'll try and justify ourselves so you know what blade
1: What's not to like about him? I mean, he is a badass. Uh, He's always have all. I mean, he pulls into Twilight fans because he's half vampire.
0: Um. (laughs) Dude, I cannot believe. You know, we go into we go into discussing like you know the top tier of fucking of comic books. You know, the Marvel, DC universe type shit. And you know what? You bring fucking Twilight into it. Come on. It was a
1: novel first. No, I'm kidding. But still, uh, all in all, he is. You know, I, I love how they portray the vampirism. Um, you, know what? I'm gonna,
0: you know what, I'm going to bring up Lord Voldemort when you start talking about Darkseid. And we'll see.
1: That's <laughs> okay. Darkseid doesn't use a wand.
0: <laughs> anyway, look, we'll kick back into talking about Blade. You know what, I was just being a facetious dick. Um. <laughs> you know, Blade. Blade is actually one of those characters that, um, you know, for me, Blade has never been a hero. And it's the one thing that um, I actually love about him, and he's not trying to be a hero either. And I think that's the, you know, what I think that's the one thing that sort of separates him out from the Frank Castle type characters. And like in in one Frank Castle, you know, kind of he has his his crotch, you know, which is uh, his alcoholism, and and the Frank Castle, when it's said and done, is really everything that uh, he wants to chase down and eradicate from the world and that he hates in the world like without him actually realizing it to me that's how Frank Castle's always come across but you know blade for me blade for me is always an absolute you know what if you suck blood or if you're one of those fuckers who helps him suck blood hmm, I'm putting you in the floor or I'm sticking yeah. some, I'm sticking silver in you and fuck you
1: yeah, Blade is definitely, uh, he's a superhero that's not viewed as a hero by many or by the public eye. It's its something where he's compared to like the Punisher or Spawn. I mean, his it's not necessarily like he's doing this because this is the right thing to do. It's more so that he's doing it because it's his own personal
0: vendetta. And you know, it's funny you actually mentioned Spawn because Spawn nearly made it to be my number five, believe it or not.
1: Yeah, he he's actually in my top five for superheroes. He could possibly be seen as a supervillain, but the whole darker side of things, especially with those three, really puts off a lot of people of him not of them not being superheroes. Uh, where you know they're just doing what's right, but but doing what's right is kind of like the collateral damage of them doing just what they want to do.
0: For me, with our Blade as I sort of, I kind of nearly sort of jumped at the fucking box for earlier, the movies. Okay. You can't talk about blade in any circumstance without talking about those movies or the TV series, or more recently the animated series. So, you know, what? for me, the movies, I love the first movie of Blade, okay? Because for me, it kind of captures an awful lot of the essence of what I, I'm familiar with from the character and what I've sort of grown up with from the character. The yeah, second the... second movie, though, yeah. testing my fucking, <laughs> testing my motherfucking patience. Yeah, that's
1: all when it starts to go downhill and they deviate greatly from the comic. It was more so just trying to ride off the franchise to make some money. With um with the steam of what little superheroes had going at that time,
0: yeah. And the third movie, oh, 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 you know that third movie for me is exactly like the fourth Indiana Jones movie that doesn't exist. It doesn't <laughs> exist for me. Like, oh, you know what? And yeah, I tell you what kills it for me in that third movie, and for from me totally betrays the character of Blade. You know, where at the very start of the movie, Blade is chasing down this dude. He thinks he's a vampire. You know, he hits him. Drills him with some silver bullets. The dude doesn't die. He pulls out the false uh, vampire teeth and goes, "I'm human." And then there's that look of reg- expression of regret on Blade's face, and I'm just like, "Oh, Blade wouldn't give a shit if the dude was a human. He was helping. <laughs> he was helping bloodsuckers, which means he's going in the floor."
1: Yeah, they made um. They made the Blade fran- movie franchise very family friendly to an extent where they wanted to portray him as killing the bad people, just, you know, killing the vampires and that the humans, even though that they volunteered to assist, they were just these pawns that were, you know, still human. You don't want to kill a human on, on, on screen. So they made it have this bad portrayal of him killing one of the slaves and just just kind of snowballed from there to be a even worse movie.
0: But you know what There's, there is there um, is one redeeming feature about that movie I fucking love Ryan Reynolds' character in that. Uh, yeah that's game, it yep. You know what I love his character from that and you know what because it's even funnier again is because the dude then popped up in another Marvel franchise playing Deadpool Yeah. and then he popped up in DC's world playing Hal and playing like you know the Green Lantern
1: Yeah I think uh, starting to outlive his usefulness
0: yeah, Van Wilder turning up in my fucking <laughs> comic book movies. What the fuck?
1: It's a, it's getting a bit um, excessive with him jumping around characters. Because the Green Lantern movie, I think he did a decent okay act. He was slightly I deviating love from our, I, I our story.
0: Yeah. I'll, for, I'll forgive it in terms of like the, the shit that it deviates from. Because you know what? It's an enjoyable flick. And for the first time, I get to see Green Lantern on a big fucking screen.
1: With Deadpool, it's not so bad, I guess. Because a lot of people went ape shit over that. Yeah, his, it, if they stick to like the Deadpool comic, you mean you won't ever see his face. I, I'm just worried that people will relate the two. If they do show his face often, because they'll see, oh, that's Ryan Reynolds, and why is he the Green Lantern? And then it'll be really frustrating because people people are really hardcore of being either a DC fan or Marvel fan too. Sometimes so. I just hope it doesn't hurt
0: the industry negatively. It's <laughs> not going. It hasn't done it in any harm so far. But, you know, just to close off on Blade, it's a, it's a series that I loved, and it was because the reason is, the dude is not a hero, and, you know, it's very often, he's just, like, fucking putting that toe across the line into being, being a villain and being the bad guy at all times. And you know what? I love that. I love the fact that he just sits right in the middle of that, and, you know, he's always swinging just a couple of inches one side of the line or the other. So you know what, we're going to jump into what, talk about your number four, everyone's favorite.
1: Uh, Joker, I mean he, he is just the, the epitome of chaos, so not alone is he this extremely intelligent supervillain, he just doesn't care uh, how it gets done, so if you think of it in like role playing terms, he's severely just chaotic evil. I mean he will just do it just because it's fun yeah. and if he wants something done it will get done uh there's always tons of references where like he'll kill his own uh goons to get something done right like immediately just the spontaneous nature of the joker and the lengths at which he'll go to get attention is is dramatic and it's great (laughs) it always adds a lot of excitement um especially in the comic series i love how he was portrayed in the dark knight i think keith ledger did a phenomenal job portraying exactly who the joker really is it was a lot more darker than the original batman he is something that always wanted to just push the limits of batman and Without Batman, the Joker wouldn't have anything to do. He wouldn't be the Joker anymore. It was always that, you know, situation that they always brought up in the comics, they brought it up in the TV series of where these villains were becoming who they were because of the Batman. And the only one that really lays true with is the Joker.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Joker, you know, I have to agree with you there. To me, the Joker is, you know, the big badass the other side of Batman's coin you know that really and truly and you know what for me every time I think of Joker you know there's two very very particular stories relating to that character in Batman that for me every time just you know highlight how important Uh, the Joker is to not just the Batman story but in terms of the whole Gotham story as a whole and those two stories are killing joke and death in the family totally you know you talk about characters and you know they're they they opposite numbers and who are villains and everything else you know what when you talk about killing joke you know where joker he cripples barbara gordon she becomes a paraplegic and then she later on goes on to become oracle yeah and you know then he's uh he gets into the whole set of mind games in that story series where he's uh, he kidnaps uh, commissioner gordon and and he's showing him photo fo- showing him photos of his daughter who's quite wounded badly and being in a state of undress. And you know, that is a really, really you know, they call it a graphic novel. That fucking thing is super graphic in the way that it goes about things. And then you sort of talk about the a death in the family, you know, where Joker actually goes and murders Robin Mark two or three, I can't remember, but it's Jason Todd Jason anyway. Todd. Yeah. yeah, it's yes, yeah, Mark II. Sorry, he's yeah, the second second Robin, and you know what? That was actually shown in uh, for those who've seen the animated direct to DVD movie. It's um the Red Hood. That is, uh, if you haven't seen it, fucking watch it. It is awesome. the The beginning of that where you see uh, the Joker just beat the shit out of uh, Robin slash Jason Todd, and and then just practically leave him for dead to the point where. He blows him up just as Batman rocks up to the building, you know, and even if you haven't read the book, the graphic novel or whatever, get your hands on it and read it. It's, you know what, Joker is just, dude, he is like uh, the, the definition of a supervillain. And you know what, you're so right, Heath Ledger just wow. You no, know, I always think when I'm reading any of the Batman comics and the Joker's lines come up, you know, the first voice that's in my head is Hamill's Joker.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I got to see him at Comic Con uh, this year, and it's always so so impressive when you see him, and he always loves to like stop and do the Joker's voice. Like he doesn't honestly doesn't mind it. Um, he'll always do like a laugh or a small laugh or say a line. And to have that much passion for a character that someone that you're thinking, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker does the Joker in redoing the role of the Joker in in the uh, Arkham video games. It was such an amazing decision for Warner Brothers to make. It was something that really brings the games alive as well. Just the and, and they intentionally made the Joker even darker and the arkham city game because he's actually physically dying it's it's just insanity of how much life you know a voice actor can bring to a character that you've read for years you
0: know what's funny is that nearly didn't happen as well because the original voice for the joker in the animated series was uh, british actor tim curry yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Actually, for anyone who actually hasn't uh, checked it out, you know, Kevin Smith, aka Silent Bob, everyone fucking knows who Kevin Smith is. Kevin Smith is this fucking awesome podcast series that he's been doing for the last month, month and a half, okay? And it's called Fat Man on Batman. And I've been loving the shit out of that. He does two episodes of this quite early on i think it's episodes two and three or three and four i can't remember which we're just right now but he interviews and talks with mark hamill about playing the joker his involvement and his love of comics if you haven't listened to it go and check it out if you're not subscribed to fat man on batman Fucking subscribe to it. It is awesome because he talks about all talks to a whole bunch of people from the Batman animated series universe. You know, Tara Strong, Arlene Sorkin, Bruce Tim, fucking Batman himself, Kevin Conroy, Paul Dini, and even talks to like Walt Flanagan as well. And for those who don't know, Walt Flanagan is uh, Kevin Smith's friend. He's also helped him uh, do the artwork on his Batman Cacophony and Widening Gyre series. Um so check those out.
1: Yeah, he he does uh, a lot of really great interviews. He is Kevin Smith is one of my idols uh, for comic book collecting ever especially since like he is a huge comic book nerd. If you haven't gone to the Secret Stash and you live in the east eastern shore of the United States, definitely head there. They have tons and tons of things that aren't just Jay and Silent Bob. It is a real actual comic book store. And uh, they, they feature it in, in um, Comic Book Men. It's on AMC. I'm not sure if you get that there in, in Ireland or not. Uh, no, but a
0: lot of people should check out uh, Comic Book Men on AMC because it is pretty fucking sweet. Uh, um, Really, really good.
1: Yeah, and, and for people that don't know how much of a diehard comic book fan he is, he actually sold his comic book collection in tears to help produce Clerks' original movie. Uh, so... Whenever you listen to his podcast, you can always tell the excitement and depth of how much he really loves this stuff.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Uh, we actually have got to kind of confess a little thing. You know, when we started this, we were actually influenced by uh, every time we kept listening to episodes of like Smodcast or even the first uh, two episodes of Fat Man on Batman. You know, and we'd kind of been talked talking about this for quite a bit. But, you know, when we hear- heard him talking about it, you like, fuck it. We're just going to go and do it. So... Uh, yeah, that's our our tail in and dumping into that. And you know what? Coincidentally, as we're talking about that, that kind of leads us into the uh, next character we're going to talk about, and justify. And you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm jumping straight into Harleen Quinzel, aka Harley Quinn.
1: Yeah, it's this was a character that was a therapist for the Joker, and it even adds more into the diabolicalness of the Joker character and why he's so great where he pretty much infiltrates her mind as a therapist and gets her to help him escape, and also she just becomes insanely obsessed with who the Joker is.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is... Again, this is a really weird one, because, you know, most characters... um, If you want to talk about the Batman universe, okay? uh, Up until... I'm going to just drop a little fucking history on everyone here. Up until the Batman TV series that William Dozier did, you know, with Burt Ward as uh, Robin and Adam West as Batman and Cesaro Romero as the Joker and everything else, characters like the Riddler and the Penguin were actually partially being written out of... Uh, The Batman comics and kind of just been left alone because they weren't very popular. And the TV series and the way that those characters were portrayed in the TV series, especially by Burgess Meredith for the the Penguin, that sort of revitalized those characters and repopularized them again for the for the comic books. So fast forward a little bit a couple of years later when uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm are sitting down and they're doing the creation of the Batman animated series. They introduce a character called Harley Quinzel who becomes Harley Quinn and Harley Quinn is actually based off Bruce Timm's friend Arlene Sorkin. And Arlene Sorkin then eventually went on to voice Harley Quinn and she pretty much like is the essence of uh, the character. And she was a character that was created based on a person and a voice that a person does. And for those who actually don't understand where this character really comes from, Arlene Sorkin's sort of claim to fame before she got into Batman really was she was on a U.S. uh, soap series called Days of Our Lives. And uh, in one of the episodes that she's in, she actually had to dress up as a sort of a female clown character. And she just... Totally played it over the top, and that was the inspiration for what we now come to know as Harley Quinn. And just as a, an interesting side note to this, Harley Quinn is actually a name that I've been actually trying to push with my other half. That if we ever have kids and we ever have a girl, that I actually want to call her Harley Quinn. Now, I keep being told, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I keep trying to work it in there in the hope that it will. You know, I, I figure like Kev Smith got away with it, but you know, he got away with it because his other half actually had already got the buy in because she loved the character anyway um so i i've I've got the really hard sell with that one
1: yeah it's definitely something that every guy wishes they could name just like anybody that has like a dragon ball fan base i mean they want to name their son goku or gohan or something like that it's something where a comic book that a comic book fan that loves batman enough or just enjoys reading it of course they want to name their daughter Harley Quinn. I, I, hopefully I'll be able to do that one day because it would be so badass. I know, but... dude. Dude, I just continued, it would be <laughs>
0: awesome. But you know what? This character, like all sort of jokes aside about and and sort of uh, fought over where this character came from and the fact that she was an external character for a Warner Brothers TV series that then got retconned into the DC Universe. She's so... <laughs> You know, you put her next to the Joker, and the Joker, it's, its you know, it's kind of crude and crass to say, you know, he's a, he's a psychotic, you know, and just leave him in that labeling. But when you put her next to him, you know, and she has genuine fucking affection for this dude.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's, she borders lines of cross the, well, she crosses the borderline of being insanely obsessive over him and being completely in love. So... You see her obsession of you know, jealousy and things like that, mm. and doing anything to any lengths for him specifically. So it's not necessarily complete love, because he definitely shows in many parts of comics and animated series that, especially at the beginning, where he has no use for her. I mean, well, not no use, but has very little feelings for her. Like he would throw her to the wolves if it saved his life.
0: And you know what you see that very is. often actually in the animated series you see where you know he just leaves her fucking holding the can.
1: Yeah, or pushes her in the way or something like that. And <laughs> and it's the the whole problem with that is like She must have been beaten as a child or something because she's glad to do it. She gets this little shock on her face, but then she kind of just mans up. The best thing that I can remember about the whole Harley Quinn thing is if you ever watched the Batman Beyond series, there are the Harley Quinn twins. I've never watched it. (laughs) (laughs) There are the Harley Quinn twins in there. And apparently... Oh, Dee Dee. uh, Yeah, it doesn't say anything what happened to their mother but their grandmother comes and picks them up from jail one time and they call her grandma Harley. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because she's this old grandmother. It doesn't really necessarily say if the kids are, the if she had a daughter with the Joker or or adopted or she grew up and married, but it's, it's still really cool and really funny that, that it happens and that her granddaughters are the new Harley Quinns.
0: (laughs) You know what? I don't even have to talk about just that that character alone, or that movie alone. You know, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. That is one of my all-time fucking favorite Batman flicks. And, you know, the two characters is actually uh, Delia and Deidre Dennis. And they're actually voiced by uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch herself, Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's really cool universe how much um, goes into a character that was... Kind of just this short write-in that was just this faint idea in how big she became.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, she was only just like um, a sort of a, a bit part character. Now she's like a very, very encompassing character. I mean, even so much so, you know, the new Arkham game is uh, Harley's Revenge.
1: Yeah, and and I do apologize. It wasn't the series for Batman Beyond. It was actually the Batman the movie.
0: animated series. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was the movie, The Return of the Joker, where she she does a little prize roll in. As Harley Quinsel Which is plain played by Arlene Sorkin yeah. Still But still it's, it's really amazing How much depth comes into this character And How much of the Joker Is portrayed through her as well
0: Look she is an awesome fucking character And you know, I think she's one of those characters that seriously is overlooked, but I think there's just so much to... She adds so much to the fucking Joker, dude. Like, you, you, you literally... It's like kind of... Uh, its its Now she's sort of in there. It's hard to fucking imagine him without her, but I always still find it really odd that we've never had a Harley Quinn in a live-action Batman movie.
1: Well, you see a lot of... Um cosplay and then fan creations of like the joker with her yeah and it's always something that you would imagine that she would make a cameo in at some point as at least as Dar- dr harley quinsel oh it's like uh, i've seen
0: that um did you see that recent steampunk version of harley quinn
1: no i haven't no
0: you know what i'm gonna stick it up after you know when uh, after the show goes live i'll stick it up on our tumblr people should have a look at it it was actually pretty fucking sweet
1: yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out because there's a lot of different artwork and there's anime versions, there's cosplay versions, there's professional photography done. There's one that's very popular with like the Joker's face he- peeking out and like she's in the forefront with her arm around his head. I th- I'm sure a lot of people seen that. Yeah, that's awesome. But uh, you're right. I mean, she was never really in a film which is kind of sad a live action film that is. You know what? I uh, think we're, we we'll
0: see her in the next when they do the reboot, we're going to see her at some stage.
1: That'd be great because I was definitely hoping to see her maybe in The Dark Knight Rises at least as part of like the Arkham staff or something like that as oh, part of that. That, that would have been really awesome. Cool. Because you really get this more cuz when you play the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games you it really feels like a movie at times and it they do a lot really really good cgi with that with the cut scenes and it's just like you really wish this was became a movie it wouldn't necessarily need to be a batman with a robin but to have the joker with actually like this sidekick that's so chaotic would add as much anticipation into the film as bane did
0: yeah bane was badass but let's move on and let's jump on and you know what let's go and talk some fucking dark side dude
1: yeah, uh Darkseid um I picked him because he's not necessarily because I I love the character immensely as who it is, but just from the devastation and how much of an impact he has on the DC universe. Uh, Darkseid was actually based off of Adolf Hitler and apocalypse is supposed to be Nazi Germany. The whole mindset of controlling everything and ruling over everyone is always been a mindset of apocalypse there's this huge thing where the origin of apocalypse was like he had this his brother was going for the power um omega when apocalypse found out he then killed his brother and took the power for himself yeah later on and, and the story for apocalypse i mean not apocalypse i'm sorry for dark side himself it starts getting dramatically darker and darker because now that he has his power he can you know finally rule and he has someone he loves and what happens next is his mother has her poisoned and kills her so he starts to become even more angry and cold-hearted and evil and then he's forced into this marriage by his parent or his mother, killing his father, making her a matriarch. Uh, he has a kid with her. And then he finally gets enough strength to overpower and kill his, he kills his mother. And Im- <clears throat> no, he imprison. No, yeah. He kills his mother. He imprisons his arranged wife and his arranged son on apocalypse. So from this point, this guy has so much tragedy, tragedy, Uh, He eventually has his son, and then he's in this gridlock war. And the only way to stop this war is he now has to give up his son, uh, Orion, and receive the son of the other warlord. So after he receives his son, or or, gives up his son, his son is then taught these good, like, philosophies and the betterment of men so now his own son is even turned against him so at this point this man dark side has lost everything he's lost his family he's lost the person he loved he's lost his son he's lost only thing he has left is his world that he controls and he has the high father the high father's son uh which later becomes uh mr miracle But, I mean, that's still no real substitution. That's just more so uh, like a reminder of his semi-defeat. And then later on, he starts to become extremely paranoid, kind of like exactly how Hitler did. I mean, he started thinking that these other powerful beings are going to someday become a threat. So he decides to find out where the Olympian gods are, and he wants to kill them and steal their powers.
0: So, yeah, because Darkseid, like, the uh, the only people who are actually any way of, a, when I say people, you know, uh, threats to him are Superman, Doomsday, and Orion.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, he goes down to, I, f- I apologize, I forget the name of the island uh, where the Amazons are, Themistira. So he goes to Themistira to try and find out more, and... At this point, he just slaughters the Amazons. Uh, There's there's part of a tie-in with Wonder Woman where she places her soul into Darkseid to try and bring some humanity back to him. But that just diverts him from trying to obtain the the powers of the gods because at that point, he's weakened. So what goes on further from there is he's become so angered that he's looking for this equation, uh, the anti-life equation. That's right, yeah. That he feels will allow him to control all minds, and for some, I, I I don't know the tie-in or the reason, but he he thinks that each human being has a part of the the equation into their mind, and that's where it starts his obseps- obsession with Earth. So. He's so powerful at this point that he's literally unstoppable. There's no way to kill him with any of the DC heroes. He becomes this huge objective for the Justice League to try and save the world and universe. It's so tremendous of how much destruction he can cause without even trying with the omega power
0: he turns up in fucking wonder woman he turns up in fucking Batman I mean this dude is actually um you know what actually just worth worth just sort of mention that as well there's the Superman Batman animated direct-to-dvd movie apocalypse yeah people should fucking definitely check that out and they should also have a look at uh, the Teen Titans and also in the other new Batman series which is the batman mm-hmm. he also turns up in that as well and he's also all over the fucking justice league as well oh, no it's batman the brave and the bold shit sorry yeah
1: yeah, yeah and in his uh his biggest deception become superman which then draws him into everybody else's world exactly because the only person that can sort of stand toe-to-toe with him is superman but he still loses pretty much like their their big solution for him is get him back into a boom tube and send him home.
0: <laughs> you know, I wish he, I could do that with lots of people. Yeah,
1: that's his, and that's his biggest thing. That's his biggest drawback is that he has all this power and he he just can't be stopped. Um, eventually, he does get stopped. I don't really want to spoil it too much, but his son Orion has a huge portion into, into defeating. Do spoiled
0: the shit out of it. We, <laughs> we already warned people at the start of the show. Go for well, it.
1: <laughs> well, essentially, what happens is, you know, Darkside comes to Earth, and he pretty much beats the shit out of the Justice League. Uh, what happens then is Orion comes and pretty much decimates his his father. He, I think, he also he shoots a, a bullet at him. Uh, that's made of radiation to try and kill him. And it pretty much just weakens him, but Orion is eventually able to kill him by actually ripping out his heart. And this fulfills a prophecy that uh, that Darkseid was told at one time that his son was going to cause the, def- the, the defeat of Apocalypse. And even then, Darkseid doesn't necessarily die. He dies from you know, his heart being ripped out, but his essence and soul actually goes back in time. <laughs> it gets really, this is when they start going through the different universes and things like that, because his soul actually goes back in time to possess a human and it starts to build up further from there. So this super villain that they have is essentially becoming unbeatable. It, it's just the immense power that they have in the villainy. he, it becomes more so a symbol of something like Adolf Hitler has like the mass oppression, the mass control, the needing to be above all and control everything.
0: You know, we can't stress it enough. Like put it this way. This dude is ranked. I think it was like in the top 10 for like IGN did like a top 100 comic book villains of all time. And this dude was sitting in the top 10 in the, where was it? Was apocalypse?
1: He was ranked sixth in IGN's top 100 comic book villains of all time.
0: Yeah, I mean the, this dude is, you know, he's up there. Like, and you know, the influence of him just really can't get away from it. I mean, like we, you just can't uh, express enough how overarching this dude is. And you know what? The really funny thing is, the guy apparently uh, they said that when Jack Kirby was creating uh, Darkseid, that the the face that they gave and we based it off Jack Polans. <laughs> you know, I find that really funny, you know, because Jack Palance, uh, you, you know, uh, he was in the Tim Burton Batman flick. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's it's kind of ironic that if Kirby said, like, that uh, Palance's face was his influence for that. You know, in another DC property, Palance turns up on it.
1: Yeah, and, and the biggest thing about Darkseid is, like, as I mentioned, it's not exactly who he is that, I put him in my top five. It's it's just the factor that he brings to the DC universe. And granted, he's not the absolute most powerful. I mean, he's not like Thanos. He's not like Galactus that can eat worlds and things like that. It's just that the oppression that he brings and the power of his personality, the backstory behind him is so dark and deafening he's so influential and he's such a big influence to the dc universe that dc actually wrote him in as the first main supervillain that the newly formed justice league in the new 52 actually takes on and he just decimates them and just like before like they're only able to get him back into the boon tube to get him away from earth it's it's that dramatic and it's just something that has such a large presence in the universe that it can't be denied.
0: Yeah, boon tubes, everyone. That's what you fucking need to get rid of people you don't like. Just them <laughs> in a fucking boon tube. Lots ship of mother them off boxes. Got to yeah. get mother boxes. <laughs> lots and lots of them, you know, and so, you know, we'll move into the next thing. You know what? In one respect, I would fucking love to like jump into a whole big thing about Batman right now. And you know why he's in both of our lists. But you know what? I'm kind of conscious that we need to rein it back in a bit because any opportunity I have to talk about the Bat, motherfucker, I am honored. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, Batman is the... I mean, he is the epitome of a well-tuned human without superpowers that does superhuman things. He is a superhero in his. I mean, in the eye of the public, he's a vigilante to federal... uh, Law and he's just honestly nothing too special, other than he has fine tuned his body and his incredible intelligence.
0: And he is a, he is an the awesome, ultimate epitome of a moral barometer, a very f- weird and fucked up moral barometer, but you know a moral barometer nonetheless. And you know what's funny is every time I keep thinking of Batman, you know, and you know what I'm actually. It was funny when I was listening to Fat Man on Batman and Kevin Conroy said, you know, his take on Batman was that Batman was the real person and Bruce Wayne was the act. And you know what? For me, that was always the case in my head too. Um, I always thought that was the case. You know, it's it's he's a he's a really, really weird character. He doesn't have a superpower, he doesn't have uh like a a weakness in the same way that a uh, uh, traditional superheroes do, you know, you're talking about a guy who just puts his body to some of the some rigors that are just utterly devastating, physically devastating to him, and he just like he constantly is pushing his mind. And uh, there's always that crutch with Bruce Wayne, you know, that he's trying to that thing of like that child outside the the, uh, the movie theater who couldn't protect his parents and it always yeah. comes back to that and you know it's a it's a sad story in a lot of respects but you know what it's it, there's you also get to see an awful lot of different sides to batman you get to see like the arrogance you know when he gets pissed off with the justice league and he goes and forms the oh you know what you screw it it's kind F2. of yeah <laughs> you know it's just one of those things and then you've got like the batman incorporated dude batman incorporated
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with Batman is that he is an everyday human being. Uh, I mean, he doesn't always win. And that's the biggest draw to him is that he is a super intelligent guy, super fit body, pushes his body to the limits. And he just has that will to keep going. And like you said, he doesn't necessarily have any weaknesses because he doesn't have any kind of super... like superpowers. I mean, he's not afraid of the color yellow. He's okay if Kryptonite gets close to him. So it's just this whole situation of where he is, you know, the definition of what a real life superhero could possibly be.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I was just while you were uh going on about Batman there, you know, I was racking my brain thinking the outsiders.
1: Yeah, the outsiders. Um that's when at that because uh that's when he has the disagreement with the league uh isn't that when he also they find out about like his plan to be able to defeat all of the league
0: yep that's exactly it When they're like fuck you batman and he's like no fuck you you know what i would love to have the kevin conroy voice right now where it goes fuck you <laughs> but I know, uh, you know, what? I would kill it if you know what. If I was actually able to do a really decent impression of Kevin Conroy's Batman, I would spend every fucking waking hour doing impressions and finding weird shit to say in that voice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be a little bit too much fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I know. So uh, you know, when it comes to it comes to Batman, I, like I say, I gotta limit myself to that. So uh, James, next uh, character we're gonna talk about. Uh,
1: Peter Parker. I love Spider-Man so much because he is the average teen. The way that the comics were always told is, you know, there are super villains out there and, you know, he has to take care of them because he's the one that can. Other than that, it's kind of like the draw that people have to animes that are they're pretty much uh, categorized as a slice of life. Where he, in the comics, the animated series... Even in the movies, but not so well done. He has real life teenage problems, young adult problems, money problems, problems finding a place to live, problems getting money, problems with family, problems with girlfriend, relationship problems, work problems, everything. And it really plays off of a huge portion of him being Peter Parker rather than just, you know, crime fighting. And to me, that really related to me as a teen growing up. I mean, he went through the same problems I would in my normal life, not necessarily because I had to go stop fight crime or something like that. But the decisions that he made between family and friends and his responsibilities. And you always have that quote with great power becomes great responsibility. And that's what he always lived up to he was the essential everyday teen that did what was right because it was right to do and that he was the only one that could do it and me growing up as in scouting i, I always grew up in boy scouts and eventually got eagle scout it was always a hardcore set of virtues that spider-man followed um he never used weapons he never really used you know High tech gadgets that damage people. He'd rather have someone webbed up in a pacifist kind of way rather than beating them to a complete pulp, even though he probably could. And that was the biggest thing that really drew me to Spider Man.
0: You know, we can talk about all the Marvel comic characters in the world and their importance and everything else, but, you know, Spider Man is still, you know, the big numero uno character. Like, no matter what way you want to look at it. I mean, I don't think the first set of movies... I mean, the first set of movies, okay, yeah, they're they're they are what they are. I mean, they. Are, I mean, don't forget there was the other Spider-Man movies that were done in the '70s as well. I think, or the '60s mm-hmm. and '70s that were done. But you know, you know, I'm talking about the Tobey Maguire ones. They are what they are. And people can't really take away from them. But Spider-Man's importance. It's huge. I mean, Spider-Man, let's not forget, crosses so much of the Marvel Universe, right? In terms of, if you even just want to look at where this dude lies and everything else, okay? So, you've got his involvement as the progenesis for things like Venom, Carnage, and all the other symbiotes as well that come off the back of that, okay? In terms of, like, groups he's affiliated with. He becomes a member of the new Fantastic Four, which I think comes on to what do they go on? to? You know, it's where they all come—the white and black suits, uh, yeah. future, future foundation. Yeah, that's what they become. And then he's also in like the Avengers, the New Avengers, and Heroes for Hire. And this guy, like, you know, is is just such a huge overarching feature of of the Marvel universe, and just spans so much across it. You know, I think. For a lot of people a lot of people seem to identify in spider-man the same way that you did for me you know i i, I liked spider-man when i could get my hands on the comic zones growing up i love the animated series especially the one with um Firestar and Iceman. uh spider-man and friends love yeah. that animated series <laughs> that was awesome and you know what i actually really liked the redone spider-man where they put uh peter parker as an alien on another planet ultimate spider-man
1: yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man. He has a different suit and everything like that.
0: I, oh, I like you know, what? That. I, I, you know what? I, was so <laughs> pissed off when they only did one series of that. And they got to the end of it. I'm like, no! Why <laughs> is there not more of this?
1: Yeah, it definitely took a different angle on Spider-Man. Uh, more so, it, it deviated from him being, you know, the Peter Parker Spider-Man to this is a comic specifically about Spider-Man and overcoming evil. It was it's something that I enjoyed, but. It's not my top spin-off as Spider Man. Like I, I'm more so like the the amazing Spider Man comic books and spectacular Spider Man.
0: James is a Spider Man purist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably being a little mean with that, you know, but you know, I, I completely appreciate that. And you know what, the next one we're gonna dive into is, you know, Big Bad MF and Green himself. Incredible Hulk.
1: Yeah, he's uh he's definitely someone that the whole paranoia of fearing himself is something that attracts a lot of people. Um, it's it's definitely something that, you know, being afraid of what you really are inside, it's, it's so close to that just ticking time bomb waiting to happen. And it's so exciting and exhilarating to keep reading through it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really, really is. I mean, for me, my first introduction, probably like a lot of people to The Incredible Hulk, was either through him appearing as another character in a comic or as uh, anyone who's watched one of the Bill Bixby you know TV movies for The Hulk you know what people shouldn't hate on those because they're actually really really cool if you go back and watch them I mean you look you're looking at things like you know bell bottom pants and you're listening to some <laughs> of the some of the music and it's kind of whack but and you know what it it definitely screams the era for when they were made.
1: Even though the era and times are like completely different, and their version of technology back then is like laughable to us now, the flow of the series that they did was actually really, really well done. I, I always enjoyed watching the endings at the credits where they're always different, playing that sad piano song. <laughs> but uh,
0: you know, every time I, I think of the Hulk, I always think of that sort of uh, that piano piece as well.
1: Yeah, and it's a really, really, really good series, to be honest. Especially for the time that it came out and as long as it ran. I'm surprised it did as well as it did. Because at that time, the only thing that they really had was the Bat- the Adam West Batman. And the Hulk was completely different from it. It was, you know, it was that, it was another version of Slice of Life of how ongoing with this beast inside him became taxing and a burden and how he had to live his life.
0: You know what I love that um the I think it's the third one of that movie series that he did the Trial of the Incredible Hulk mm-hmm. because uh his defense attorney is Matt Murdock which is <laughs> of course for anyone who knows you know it's uh and uh, you know you know you do get to see him team up Matt Murdock as Daredevil in the in the thing as well but uh, you know, even when I look back at it now, I kind of smile at it uh, just when you see that, see him appear. Because I just keep thinking, you know, that's such a stark contrast to Ben Affleck's uh, Daredevil. You know what? I don't care. So there's, a, there's a couple of things to really hate with that movie, but you know what? There's a lot of things I actually like about it. But that's another discussion for another day anyway. But, you know, The Hulk, it's just... The story of the Hulk as a whole is actually really awesome. And it's it's if you take the wider story, not just the one that everyone's kind of aware of, you know, where he gets irradiated and then he's being chased by Thaddeus Thunderbolt, you know, General Ross, who's Betty Ross's father. He, the much wider story, you know, where he goes on and he he goes through various points of separation where Bruce Banner and the Hulk are physically separated out and they're reintegrated and then you get stories of the Red Hulk and even get to the point of the Illuminati coming together uh, where they t- take the decision you know, that the Hulk is too dangerous to uh, be left on planet Earth as a free-thinking being uh, and just being its volatility so they trick him into getting on a rocket and they send him off to the other side of the galaxy and he ends up on Sakaar uh, where of course he it takes on the whole sort of gladiator kind of story you know the uh, the guy who's a slave rising up and then becoming king and coming back and just fucking decimating everything because they fucked up his planet and killed his wife
1: <laughs> My probably my favourite Hulk would have to be World War 2 Hulk oh dude uh, I love he's...
0: World War Hulk
1: He's probably the most badass to me. It, It's a little bit separated from, you know, your traditional Hawk, but it's just so it's so it's destructive. It's it's just a lot more fun. Like they did the um, World War Hulk with the X-Men. He interacts with a lot of the Avengers as well. It's just a huge, huge story arc uh, that works so well with the destructive power of the Hulk.
0: yeah i mean i utterly love that is my absolute favorite comic book series for for the incredible hulk and you know what i dare say it would it easily vies from my favorite comic book series of all time uh, i just utterly love that and you know if anyone hasn't actually seen it the print there is an animated uh movie which is kind of prequels to that or leads into that. it's called planet hulk if you haven't seen it Go rent it. Go buy it as a download. Don't pirate it. Get your hands in a copy of it and watch it. It is one fucking awesome flick.
1: Yeah, that's. I think it. That one involves with the Illuminati and Nick Fury as well. Uh, Planet Hulk. It's. It's definitely a. It's
0: awesome, is what it is. It, yeah,
1: it, it's very, very. It's a good way to really get into the Hulk uh, if you're you're not too into it at the moment.
0: And you know what, that leads us into uh, you know, I actually I'm kinda of deliberately believing this dude to last, even though, you know, I would traditionally have left Batman to last, but you know, because I actually really love this character, I've got to talk about the man known as Magnus, Eric Glencher, otherwise known as Max Eisenhart. Magneto.
1: <laughs> Magneto he to me is probably the most impactful in, in the Marvel universe, whereas Darkseid, to me is the most impactful in DC. Magneto has crossed over many a team affiliations. He's worked with the X-Men. He's tried to get advantages at any turn he can with the Dark Phoenix. And he I mean his mission statement is actually pretty simple. Because he was, a, he was a Jew, and he was oppressed in the holo- Jewish Holocaust. He lost his family, he lost everything. And from there, he just rebuilt his life. At a certain point, he, he meets up with uh, Professor Xavier in college, and they start to work together to try and build a better world for mutants. And at this point, they you know have a falling out where it's going to be them or us, essentially. That's the turning point of Magneto, and that's always his mission statement, is that, you know, for the betterment of mutants, of mutant kind, he's at at the point where he doesn't worry about, you know, everyday humans. He's just worried about his people, and he becomes this united leader through power and might, strategic planning, and kind of like kind of like presidential debates it's he just spreads his word and then other people spread his word he builds the brotherhood of mutants he later becomes part of the 12 uh in the accolades Uh, he's part of the hellfire club with when trying to take over the dark phoenix it's he's just all over the marvel universe where they have tie-ins from other superheroes coming into the x-men world and like they really take a liking to Magneto and his power
0: yeah I mean for me I mean I love the character Magneto. to me there's always um you know what's funny is there's a lot of people who would be quick to go you know Magneto sits firmly in the sphere of being a villain and you know Charles Xavier is the good guy but you know what when you read further into the universe as it shifts through and you start talking about the Illuminati, you realize that, you know, like for me anyway, I'm always like I I always tend to lean a bit be, become a bit more sympathetic to to Magneto. And I become more and more critical of Charles Xavier, especially in the Illuminati where he decides, you know, oh Hulk is a big problem, let's go and pack him off into space. You know, we we're entitled to sit here and make this decision because you know what we know better than everyone else, and you know to the arrogance of, Child Xavier, and then you realise you know dude you're a fucking douchebag, and then if you've read the, the onslaught stories you realise that Child Xavier is a giant douchebag, and uh, and you and I started to feel a lot more sympathy towards to Magneto, and you know what I Magneto is a character it's just fucking cool, you know he says what he means, and you know. It, it is who he is, and he's not afraid of it. And again, it's one of those guys where he embraces it. And I think he's another one of those guys who sits on the fucking line at all times where it's kind of hard to call.
1: Yeah, like they, they had it in the uh, second X-Men movie. Um, it's one of the most iconic conversations uh, between Magneto and Xavier. It's when they, they're just doing a brief passing. They did it after a press conference to the government in the second movie? Yeah, in the comic, you know, he's trying like Magneto is trying to simply explain why he's doing it. He's trying to, you know, stop what happened with the Jewish Holocaust happening to a Holocaust a mutant, a mutant holocaust. And Xavier is trying to convince him you're going about this the wrong way, and you're becoming what you're hating. It's that at that point their friendship is almost shattered and and completely done the the whole point of magneto trying to spread his word is to save mutant kind but almost by any means necessary again referring to kind of like rpg role-playing kind of situations yeah. he would necessarily be chaotic good he has good calls in just ways He's just gonna go any way he can to get his calls completed and he's not worried about collateral damage.
0: Yeah, it's funny is it's if you remember that um that part of the Magneto storyline, you know, where he saves San Francisco and everyone starts He's, like, cheering them on, and they've they've gone from being, you know what, dude, you're a fucking mutant terrorist, to being, like, he's a savior of San Francisco, you know, where he uses his powers to stabilize all the city buildings and, all, and blah, 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 and the earth movements themselves, so there's no major damage to the city. You know, it, it, it again, it just sort of threatens that whole thing for me. You know, the dude lives on the line, but, you know, he's so... And I think when if you... He's only the bad guy if you look at it in terms of, I know this, this is not a not of people who are going to be going, dude, you're about to cross a fucking line here. You know, what? I am and I'm doing it anyway. Um, you know, where you look at him and you realize that if you were to look at it from the mutant perspective in the world as it is, OK, where you realize these are people who are being persecuted. So is them trying to enforce their rights and stand up for their rights? Is it such a bad thing? No, it's really not. And the only reason he actually looks as a superhero, a supervillain, is that when they put it contextually into the view of, can't we all just get along?
1: Yeah, and what he tries to do at a certain point, he he does try to go about it a more passive way after um, a whole uh, House of M, where yeah. he's actually put on trial for his crimes. That's right, yeah. Um, and he's trying to still, like, He's starting to try and take Xavier's way of, you know, trying to get everything to calm down and be peaceful, but he's just making things worse from his destructive power. Uh, I think, I can't remember, but I think like Captain America spoke in his defense and things like that about the whole laws against mutant identity and things like that. uh, Mutant Registration Act.
0: And it
1: then eventually leads him to where he's trying to, become a better person rather than just destroying things and making it seem worse for mutants. He then goes and they build into the Avalon and Geonosha uh, series yeah. where he tries to build this utopia for, for mutants to reside in.
0: Oh, Genoshi, you know, I love that. Set yeah, of Genosha, storylines. Yeah, Genosha. Oh man, I utterly love that. You know what? Even when we the first time, uh, I saw, you know, this is deviating off and some people are when I start talking about this they're like, dude, what the fuck are you doing talking about Star Wars? Get back to the fucking comics. Um, You know when they're talking about episode 2, Attack of the Clones? For a lot of people, you know, it doesn't exist, but blah, whatever. Attack of the Clones, when they they go to uh the planet called Genosha and the guys are there and they're doing all the cloning of the everything else. and You know, it, it was the first time I heard the name of it I was like, did Lucas kind of just go and flick through some fucking Marvel books for that? <laughs> yeah. You know the whole thing of you know this the trying to attain perfection and uh, in one respect, but you know it, it's the Genosha stories are really really are a really, really awesome set of stories. I mean, the the animated series, the original animated series for the X-Men, not the piece of shit that fucking rolls around on Cartoon Network at the moment, you know, because that's just fucking not the same. I'm talking about the original series that was done in the early 90s, when they actually showed Genosha. Genosha is a really fucking sinister project in that.
1: Yeah, where they have, uh, I believe in the animated series, they even show when Charles Xavier comes to the planet and he can walk and things like that as well exactly because uh, he's yeah he's not at first like xavier doesn't exactly know where the hell he is and magneto starts to tell him how this is a utopia where we can build a better us and it really gets really in depth and that's the best thing about the 90s series the animated series is that it really did closely follow the comic book Um, a lot of the old TV shows or TV series, even the Amazing Spider-Man TV series, really followed the Amazing Spider-Man comic book pretty closely. It really brings appreciation to what they tried to do back then to get people into comics. And if you always didn't have time to read comics, you could watch those series and still be in the loop, which is really cool.
0: One thing people have also got to remember is that Magneto, just to sort of cap this off, and just to give people an understanding of like his importance in the Marvel Universe, Magneto is involved in probably the number one most gruesome story in comic book tales ever done. Like, where the actual pulling of uh, Wolverine's uh, skeleton through his fucking skin.
1: Yeah. It was uh, where he actually rips the adamantium binding from his skeleton uh and they had it in very very graphic and detailed it is super graphic it was it was really surprising the first time i saw it too as well
0: you know what's funny is dude disney fucking owns that now (laughs) (laughs) you know what i I just i don't want to deviate over too much sometimes we do this i know and i do it in particular but when disney first bought marvel the first thing i was seeing myself was man we have fucking seen the end of that kind of thing and we've seen the end of any kind of decent marvel comic stories in terms of just their their willingness to be graphic and to be very open and address very topical things in a very modern way but you know what uh, all credited to where it's due to Disney you know they seem to have kept their fucking hands out of it and Marvel just seems to be keep trucking on and they're not afraid to go into the area where they start talking about uh, gay characters, and they start talking about the deaths of characters, and and still keeping that sense of um, that sense of drama in the things, and not afraid to go a, a bit heavy in terms of how they're are going to portray stuff and do it. And you know what? I'm I'm really glad that they didn't because when you think about Disney, there would be such a temptation for them to go. You know what? We might actually fucking hurt the brand if we do if we don't do it.
1: Yeah, and, and Warner Brothers has been doing similar to the same thing with DC. They kind of let them continue their own style. They just kind of own them. It's similar to Activision and Blizzard as well, in video game
0: terms. But, I mean, uh, I think with... um. Warner Brothers and DC, that relationship in terms of how they were going to allow them to keep stuff. If you think about how uh, Warner Brothers, when they were doing the Batman animated series, you know some of the episodes and the way some of the stories are portrayed. Uh, especially, there's one episode where Barbara Gordon gets pushed off a building. It's the one where uh, Batman. It's it's kind of like a dream sequence, but it's not where Barbara yeah. Gordon gets dropped off a building and she lands on the bonnet of her. Uh, in in the Batgirl outfit, lands on Jim Gordon's bonnet of his car, and they actually had to figure out a way to show it but not show it because it was a fucking kid's show. And the way that they did it, just, like, it was, like, it was ten... And when I think about it now, it's, like, ten times worse than if they'd actually just shown her just landing, pow, straight on the bonnet. Like, uh, I mean, just even doing things like that, and even if you think about the Batman Beyond Return the Joker movie where uh the joker just off spunk in the middle of the fucking thing where he's like yeah. i was kidding was like Ooh, and then he like shoots him i was like and the dude's just like you've got that really creepy like uh dead person expression from the joker gas and it's just like dude this yeah. is a kid's movie <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I think that they, even though that, you know, you're used to Warner Brothers and Disney being like these kid oriented companies, they, they, I, I think they're very, they're doing very well at keeping, you know, Marvel and DC as their individual properties where they're not allowing like the Warner Brothers or Disney P, like PR teams to hinder what they really are too dramatically. I really don't think their demographic anymore is like the WB kids Saturday morning cartoons and things like that. Because even the new uh, Young Justice that they have on Cartoon Network that Warner Brothers makes is pretty dark at times. Yeah, that's uh, pretty sweet,
0: actually. I really like
1: that one. Like, they even show, like, where Superboy finds out he's a clone and, like, they blatantly show that superman has nothing with like wants nothing to do with him like he's this bastardized son and he just doesn't want him
0: yeah Superboy. Superboy. Super that's funny. the uh the child of lex it's so oh, it's a genetic child of lex luther and superman
1: they're doing a like they're doing really well at keeping the warner brother and disney morals away from the intellectual property of warner brothers and marvel so far
0: yeah you know what it's something that I'm gonna to continue to watch, and I'm gonna to continue to just—I just love the way that the, the uh, Warner Brothers, especially now they own DC, is just how they—they they just seem to be very, very free in how they're going about things. I mean, I do think the whole, however, we have seen because of just how earnest uh, Nolan made the his Batman trilogy. I think we're never gonna see that again. We've had our fucking Batman moments with that, but. <laughs> The new Superman flick looks super earnest as well in just the way that they're doing that. And even that looks like it's going to be a bit on the, you know, pardon the pun, but it's going to be on the dark side of things. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. And it's strange because I've never been looking, I've never looked forward to a, a Superman flick ever because I'm, yes, not a, I'm not a Superman fan. And you know what, James? I think that's going to do us for this week, dude.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was very productive in... I'm glad we were able to finally uh, get into
0: what brings us to comics. <laughs> you know what, dude? When you say that we're talking about comics, and it's productive. You know, I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a smile so wide it's pushing my fucking eyeballs up into my brain. <laughs> 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 so look, guys, thanks very much for checking out episode four of the Origins E-Retcon podcast. Uh, next week, I think, James, we might do a roundup of... Uh, news that's come out of the uh, PAX and from Dragon Con. I don't think there's been like much from PAX, but you know, the couple of things held over for Dragon Con tomorrow, there might be a couple of bits and pieces. We might get a fucking show out of it.
1: Yep, it should be enough, especially that Marvel has announced that they have some apparently they're gonna be have some big news at Dragon Con tomorrow on Monday about Marvel heroes.
0: Yeah, so you know what we'll do is tune in next week. Join us then. Thanks again for stopping by. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm on the Infella. James, people can get you on Twitter where? You can find me at Taco Healer. Thanks for checking us out, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Origin Z Retcon podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Origin Z Retcon, where you can send us your comments about the show using the hashtag OZRCP. You can also check out our Tumblr, .tumblr originzretcon.tumblr.com.